hope you enjoy this message from South City C3, a location of C3 Church, Christchurch. We're in a series at the moment called The New Way, trekking through the Gospel of Luke, chapters 9 to 11. And what we're looking at is how Jesus begins his long journey to Jerusalem, where eventually he will be crucified. And as he begins that journey, he sends his disciples out to do mission, and he has lots of conversations with them and the crowds who want to follow him. And there's a contrast in these passages between the way that Jesus calls his followers, what he expects of them, and what he encourages. As compared to what they expected, that's startling. It is the Jesus way. It is the new way. And so you see that image. There's a contrast between the old and the new, the dead and the alive that's going on in these passages. Tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to explore some amazing passages in Luke chapters 9 and 10 together. And if you want to, you can turn in your Bible now to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to look at that together. But this week, I read an article uh, on the news with this title. It said, I was living my life like I didn't believe in climate change. And in the article, a scientist explains that he believed climate change was a reality, but in part... Uh, in part because he thought it would all be solved soon, and also in part because he had a busy life, he didn't make any changes to his life. He he believed it was a reality, but he didn't do anything about it. He even criticized governments for not making the necessary changes. But then he looked at his own life, and he realized, if I look at my life, do I act like climate change is a reality? So he made some changes. He went an entire year without flying, which was a, uh, for us now, we go an entire year without flying. There's hardly any planes in the air. But at that stage, it was what he did. He flew around the world as a scientist all the time. But he decided, I'm going to stop. And then he looked for other ways to make a difference. Here's the thing. Sometimes I wonder if people can act the same way in response to God. Yeah, they say, I believe in God. But do they really change anything about the way they live their life? Maybe you're here tonight or you're watching online and you used to be a church regular, but then something happened. It might be that you saw that uh, faith didn't seem to make a difference in those who called themselves Christians. It might be that you had questions about science and God. It might be that you stopped living like a Christian and no lightning bolt came out of the sky. So you're like, okay, well, it's obviously not that big a deal if I just am relaxed about this. So you just kept living that way and you drifted away from God. Tonight, wherever you're at, I hope you're challenged as we read these passages to not only believe it, but also to live like you believe it. William Barclay says this, The tragedy of life and of the world is not that men do not know God. The tragedy is that knowing him, they still insist on going their own way. Many people know God, but they're not living like they do. And what we're going to read in these passages are the experiences of the followers of Jesus and the ones that they have where they see things and they hear things and it makes a profound difference in their life. So we're going to begin at the final passage in Luke chapter 10, verse 24, or 23 rather. It says this, Then when they were alone, Jesus turned to the disciples 
and said, Blessed are the eyes that see what you have seen. I tell you, many prophets and kings longed to see what you see, but they didn't see it. And they longed to hear what you hear, but they didn't hear it. Jesus tells his disciples that others, that the prophets, that kings long to see what they see and to hear what they hear. Well, what's he talking about? What's he talking about? Tonight we're going to have a look at five key incidents in the previous chapter that tells us exactly what others long to see, what others long to hear that these disciples got to see and hear. Let's have a look at these five passages, these five uh, incidents together. The first one is a description of Jesus' ministry. And it comes just after the 12 disciples have come back from mission, as Sarah told us about last week. Jesus sneaks away with them for a bit of a small group retreat. And then we read in verse 11. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and he taught them about the kingdom of God. And he healed those who were sick. See, this... This verse describes the new way of Jesus. Jesus doesn't turn the crowds away. He doesn't tell them, hey guys, look, we're having a small group retreat here. This is inappropriate. He doesn't say, hey, we're doing something special. Instead, he welcomes them and he teaches them about God's way and he meets their needs by healing them. The disciples saw at that moment a man who had power and a man who cared deeply but they would begin to see much more than that. The next story directly after this is the feeding of the 5,000. The crowds are there in this place. Jesus has been welcoming them, teaching them, healing them. And it becomes evening. And they are hungry. The disciples say, send the crowds away. But Jesus says, oh, you guys feed them. And what this is, is this is Jesus stretching his disciples again, telling them that this is a new way. Not one where others do incredible things and they watch, but ones where they have the opportunity to do incredible things. They don't do it in the end. So Jesus steps up and he kind of says, hey, hey, watch this, boys. See what's going to happen here. And in verse 16, it says, Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. 12 baskets, that's one for each disciple. What did they see? What did they hear? They saw this food appear, and then they gave it out. And then they turned back to Jesus, and the food appeared again, and they gave it out. And then they turned back to Jesus, and the food appeared again, and they gave it out. And that's some kind of trick. Sometimes with Jesus' miracles, I'd love to know exactly what he's, what he's doing. Is he just producing the food from nothing, or is he like taking a scrap of food and magnifying it? Exactly what is happening in them, I don't know. But, but they heard people say, hey, we were hungry, but now we've had enough. They saw amazing things. And here is this man doing what God did for the nation of Israel in the desert. Providing food out of nowhere. Showing that man can live by the word of God. And they were blessed to see it. They were also blessed to hear how this man Jesus was going to fulfill God's eternal plan. 
I love a good caper movie like Ocean's Eleven or The Italian Job or even an escape film like The Great Escape. Anyone else with me? You love those kinds of movies? The ones where there is some elaborate plan and the movie maker knows it and you know that they've got it in hand, but they hold on to it and they hold the tension of that plan. They never tell you exactly what they're going to do. They drip feed information, right? They drip feed it to you, and then when you see it unveiled, you're like, oh, that's clever. That's really clever. And this is one of those. You get to a point in the movie where you go, come on, just show me already. I want to see this thing happen. Well, for centuries, that's what people had been saying. God, just show us already. What is this great plan that you've got? What is this intricate thing that you're working out? And in this moment, Jesus doesn't leave them in suspense any longer. Instead, he lets them know what kings and prophets saw some of, but the full plan that they had longed to hear, God's way of achieving salvation. Verse 22 of chapter 9, Jesus says, The Son of Man must suffer terrible things, he said. He will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of the religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day, he will be raised from the dead. And he begins to sow the seed, and a couple of times in this passage, he tells them exactly what is going to happen to him. He sets them up. He begins to reveal God's plan. This is what they saw. This is what they heard. But all of that was nothing compared to what three of them would see and hear next. About eight days later, after that conversation, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes became dazzling white. And Jesus is there talking with two strangers who they recognize as Moses and as Elijah. And then it says in verse uh, 32, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. Why do they always fall asleep? I don't get it. You know, Jesus is there dazzling light. Oh, it's good, they fall asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with them. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter not even knowing what he was saying, you know, he's just woken up. He blurts out, Master, it's wonderful for us, for us to be here. Let's make three shelters as memorials, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the sky said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. They saw his glory. It's like in this moment, Jesus goes super saiyan, if anyone knows what that means. I got one nod. Uh, anyone get that reference? Okay, or maybe like avatar mode, whatever it is. Jesus goes shining, brilliant white, and they hear a voice from heaven confirming Jesus' secret identity. It's almost like there was angels singing, Jesus, you're my superhero, or something like that. Apparently that was sung here this morning. Good fun, good times. They heard this voice from heaven confirming his secret identity. What they see, what they hear. Man, they were so blessed to see it, to hear it. The last story is where Jesus comes down from the mountain and encounters a demon-possessed boy. And Jesus rebukes the evil spirit, heals the boy, and gives him back to his father. 
He takes this broken life and he makes him whole in an instant. And then it says, awe gripped the people as they saw, they saw the majestic display of God's power. What did they see? What did they hear? People have been welcomed and made whole. They've been fed. They've been freed. Here and in other places, they've seen Jesus' glory amplified. It was like they thought he was big. You know when people get the Academy Award? They jump up on stage and they hold him. They go, oh, it's heavier than I thought it would be. And when they see Jesus for who he really is, it's, it's like they go, oh, there's more weight to him than we thought there was. There's more to Jesus than we ever imagined there could be. They see him as bigger, as weightier. They knew him as a miracle-working man, but now they're beginning to see something more going on. Kings and prophets long to see and hear this, yet it's being revealed to them. And in the midst of all of this revelation, there are two critical conversations for them and for us. The first one goes something like this. In verse 18, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say I am? All right, fellas, you've seen it all. You've heard it all, both in these passages and also all throughout the book of Luke. We've seen so many great things that Jesus has done. What is your judgment about me? What is your judgment? Now tonight, I want you to know that this is the question. This is not just any question. This is the question. You'll be asked many significant questions in your life. What do you want to do with your life? Will you marry me? What do you want for tea? Really important, significant question. How many kids do you want? But none of them are as important as this question. This is the question on which your life will rise and fall. The question which will determine what impact you have on the world. The question which will decide on your eternal home. Who do you say Jesus is? So let's see what the disciples say. Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. It's a safe but nice answer, and we might be tempted to do the same. Well, Jesus, some say you're a great moral teacher. Some say you're one of the most significant people in history. Some say you're a great example of love. But Jesus doesn't let them off with that. He pushes them deeper. Then he asked them, but who do you say I am? Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. The disciples say you are the Messiah, God's anointed king, that he promised to bring the world to rights. After all they had seen, after all they had heard, they were sure. But are we the same? said the shepherd boy to the little lamb, do you see what I see? I worked with a non-Christian who had done a deep dive into his life, in his life into the uh, Apostle Paul and his writings. And he wanted to discuss Paul's motivation and whether scripture was reliable and how significant Paul was in our modern world. And it was interesting stuff, but after a little while, I stopped him and I said, okay, that's really interesting that we're talking about Paul. But one thing I want to ask you is, what do you think about Jesus? 
And he admitted he didn't actually know what to think. He didn't even think a lot about it. See, the thing is, you can know everything there is to know about Scripture. You can know everything there is to know about faith, but miss out on the critical thing. You may have had issues with faith because of Christians, because of science, because you got tired of going to church and doing the same thing week after week, or because life didn't work out for you when you faced struggles and suffering. I want you, if you're in that place, to put all of that aside for a minute. It's important, I know. It matters. It really does. But it's not the most important. It's not the most important. There is only one question that matters. That is when Jesus stands before you. He that welcomed those who had nothing, fed thousands, healed countless sick, rebuked and defeated evil. He stands before you in dazzling light with nail holes in his hands and a face that we despise and asks you one simple question. Who do you say that I am? What do you see when you look at him? When you look at this portrait of Jesus, can you say with Peter, when I look at you, I see the king of the universe, the chosen one that will bring peace to all the world, that will take all that is wrong and make it right again. That is who Jesus is. Know him. If you read the news at the moment, uh, particularly about the development for a vaccine for COVID-19 in the United States, one of the names you will have come across is a man by the name of Francis Collins. Francis Collins is the head of the National Institutes of Health and was also the head of the Human Genome Project that first mapped human DNA. A really important scientist in our world. And actually, if you are anxious about the vaccine and its development and the speed it's going and whether it's safe, look up Francis Collins. He's got some really helpful things to say about it. But Francis Collins tells how he was an atheist who believed that any religious feelings were the result of an emotional experience, which he didn't trust, or some childhood indoctrination, which he felt he was fortunate enough to avoid. He was a doctor and he was working in a hospital. One afternoon, he had an elderly patient with a very poor heart and bad chest pains. She went through a a moment where she had very bad chest pains. And she went through it, and then she explained to him how it was her faith that got her through her suffering. She noticed he was very silent in this moment. And she turned to him and she said, so what about you, doctor? What do you believe? And he had to admit that with all of his scientific rigor, with all of his ability to analyze things, that it was a question that he never really explored. Her question started him on a journey to explore the rational reasons behind faith. And ultimately, it took him to the person of Jesus. And he discovered that Jesus is the real deal. Historically accurate and life-changing. And now everything he does comes from the base of his faith. And if you say, yes, I see the Messiah, then it changes everything. C.S. Lewis says this, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. You may have been listening to this tonight and you might be saying, Amen in your heart. 
or even out loud. I always appreciate an amen every now and then. I know who Jesus is. Then this final challenge, which is part of this conversation, this final challenge is for you. Luke 9, 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? If you declare Jesus is the Christ, then it should change the way you live your life. The new way of Christ says that nominal Christianity is a contradiction. There is no casual in regards to when you follow God. To be a true follower, you have to be all in. If, you, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Give up the old way. Embrace the new way. Take up your cross daily. Be prepared to lay some stuff down and follow me. Despite what many evangelists and preachers might say, Jesus did not promise his followers a comfortable life. He saw dark times ahead for them. He knew that to follow him, they would need to do this one key thing. They would need to surrender. To surrender. All are welcome to follow Jesus. But Jesus is saying that acceptance into his kingdom is about more than a confession. It's about a heart change that leads to a life change. And it all comes from giving up our way of life and embracing his. It's challenging. It's really hard. I think the whole journey of discipleship is found in this place of surrender. And there have been times when uh, God has asked me to give up some stuff some selfish attitudes. There's been times when God has asked me to let go of grudges. That's hard. There have been times when I've needed to confront behaviors. He's even asked me, this is really unfair of him, to bring my desires to him and to lay them down before his throne and deny myself what I want and instead choose his way. It's surrender. And for me... Surrender has been really challenging. I'm sure it has been for you too. But it has been also so rewarding. Everything I've given up, I've gotten more besides. God has given me a new way, his way to fulfill my desires or even better new desires altogether. I have experienced the freedom that comes in surrender. Surrender is a process. It's about giving up one thing at a time. And little by little, you change into his likeness. You become like him and share in his glory. So, let me ask you two questions tonight that I think are just pounding out of the pages here at us. Things for us to consider. Peter says that Jesus is more than a man, but that he is the one who can save us who can make the world right again. Who do you say Jesus is? You might say, I don't know. And that's fine for now, but this is the most critical question. Make sure you come up with an answer to it. Keep exploring. Keep looking at it. 
And if you say, yes, I know it's true, he is the king of the universe, then my question to you tonight is, do you act like it's true? Or are you like that climate change scientist who said, yeah, I believed it was true, but really it didn't make a difference in my life. If you say that Jesus is the Messiah, God's anointed king, the king of the universe, then what change does it make? What do you need to surrender? Do you know it's true? Do you act like it's true? Thanks for listening to this week's message. To learn more about our church, visit c3chch.org.